Hello, hello everyone and welcome to the most 3D artistic game dev podcast in the world, House of Games. I'm your co-host Rune and today I'm joined by my host whose name is spelled the same forward as it is backwards. So it doesn't really matter from what end you approach this man, just ask his lovers. Oh no, how the hell are you doing? <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> And let's gently open the door and check out what this week's episode has to offer of House of Games. Welcome everyone, and now we have, for the first time in a while I would say, a solo episode, one without a guest, so... Today is more uh, sort of a free flow episode. And starting off, I think, Rune, would you like to give an update about your game, how you're doing and what you're doing? Yeah, I thought it would be maybe interesting for listeners who are into game development to sort of tell more specifically what I'm working on. So I can't remember what I was working on last time we did one of these checkups, but... At the moment, I... Oh, actually, I think I remember. I, I mentioned something about I'm trying to make this AI where I can control the people in this game to, for example, wake up 8 a.m. and go to this park and sit there until 2 p.m. And then they go here and here and here. Similar, like, what you would expect from a Harvest Moon type of game. But these Harvest Moon types of games are... Like, the NPCs are not as alive as I would want them to be or it doesn't really matter because the main story in these games is sort of to maintain your farm and all that stuff. Stardew Valley is another example. So in my game, I mentioned before that I want that sort of Harvest Moon type of game, but more in-depth stories with the characters in the world. And all the and all these NPCs have their own sort of background stories, and I want them to feel more alive. Thus, their daily schedules are packed with with things. So you would never, let's say you go to this a person who runs a shop, then you will, as a player, understand what time it's open. Mainly because you will see it on a board, maybe outside the shop, but also because you will sort of pay attention to when the worker is there and not. So those things are there, but then when she's off from work, every day she might go to a different location. And that's, I hope the player will then sort of feel like, wow, these NPCs are really like alive. They feel like... They don't do the same thing over and over again. And this script is quite complicated. So you have like what they're doing Monday to Friday and what they're doing in the weekends. And then when there are events in this game, they go to some of them will attend to the event. Some will not. You also have these sort of three classes of if you're a sort of shanty person, a middle class or a rich person. So if there is like a Christmas event, the rich people will be in one event area and the sort of middle class will be somewhere else and the shanty people will be in their own little shanty town so that's another layer of complexity to this script so that's what i've been working on and i have been sort of the overarching script is working which is pretty nice and i think i also mentioned before that let's say it's three days before the season is changing over to to winter for example then some NPCs might say, ah, winter is just around the corner. So they always have like, almost every day they will have something new to say. Obviously not every day because that would just be insane to write all that dialogue. But they will have certain things they say in certain time of the year and so on. 
So what I've done now is a script where I think I might have mentioned this before, but let's say you want to enter a club and then there is like a bouncer standing there, but this club is only for the rich people. So you can't go in there unless you're the rich person. So the way the script works is if you are rich and you enter this box collider, which is an invisible collider, this bouncer will walk to the side and then you can of course talk to him and then he will have a very polite wave. So oh, hello, fine gentlemen, enjoy the evening or whatever. And then you can go inside. If you're a middle class, he will just stand there and say, sorry, sir, you can't enter. And if you're a shanty person, he will just like trash talk you and he will pick up literally a walkie talkie. And then the script is triggering this sort of Grand Theft Auto wanted thing when the police chase you. So I have these lights, like a stick with a police, what do you call it? A police siren on top of it. So these things will pop up all over the town and then there's like a blue red light sort of spinning I have no sound effects in the game yet but so those things will come up and then the police will come chasing you and he has a net so he's trying to catch you with a net and it's a very chubby police so there's also a timer on him for how long he can bother to chase you so if you keep running eventually he will run out of air and sort of like (laughs) and then he sort of pass out and then you're free to go so it's also a little bit the game is supposed to be quite cute and and humoristic in a way but also have some serious will this sort of the hierarchy of class is one of the main pillars of the story almost So that's a cool thing that that triggers another script and then the police come chasing you and if he can't catch you, he will sort of pass out and then you're free. So that's one thing I've been working on and another one is this janitor. So you can like break stuff in the town. If you end up being one of these shanty people, one way to make money is to collect pet bottles and like trash cans, like you break a trash can and and items drop out of the trash cans. You pick those up. And then you have this janitor, he will run there and fix them. And on his schedule, he has like working days. It's like Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. So let's say Saturday and Sunday morning, there's a lot of trash around the town because people have been out drinking and partying. That's, uh, I haven't done that function yet, but that's what I hope to be. So then this janitor, he will run outside and fix these things that people have trashed or you have sort of broken as a player. And that's only if you play as a shanty person so that's a quite cool function i don't expect people to play like a shanty person but if you do that's one way to make money in this tough world so that's yeah that's what i've been working on and it's so cool to see it it works that's awesome the only thing i worry about is that the schedules are on void updates so those are being called every frame and i need to fix that because otherwise If you have 50 NPCs, I think it will be around 50 NPCs in the game. And they're walking around doing stuff all the time. I can imagine that the CPU will have to work a lot to make that work. So I hope to maybe have a, like every five in-game minutes or something, it will call the schedule update thingy and something like that. I actually had a thought about the schedule thing. Do you know, first of all, what an array is? Uh, I think I have them in the game. I just don't really exactly know what they are. So imagine like a shopping list, for example. So a shopping list, you have like, I need to buy eggs and tomatoes and apples or whatever it is. And then 
like in the code you would have an array in the same way it's just a collection of variables basically i think in c sharp that unity is scripted in you have to have the same data type in an array so you can have an array of numbers or you could have an array of functions or you could have basically anything in an array so the way that i would approach it i think is that every mpc has like this big array or collection of tasks that they can do so you have that in the start method you would just have them start executing the first function which is i guess wake up or something mm. or like pick up from where they left off when you pause the game or whatever it might be so then it might be go to work or something and that takes maybe five minutes to execute and then when they reach the end of that at the end of that function that it has selected it could go either two ways either follow the schedule so if it's like always at 5 p.m it's gonna be go home it's never gonna be a variance then you just go for whatever is next or you could just put in the sort of schedule that the next thing is pick a random activity from these five then it just randomizes pick one of these in this array a new array and then it picks that one and after it's done with that the last thing you do in that function is just return to the normal schedule or whatever so that way you don't have to run it in update you can just run it when it's required so choosing which schedule to do it's just gonna be you could just have that separated from the frame updating and then just call get a new task at the appropriate time instead if that makes sense mm. i mean it sounds very similar to what i've done it's just that i don't know if it's probably i guess it's not an array the way i have now is like this time manager i have like a billboard in the town which is supposed to be later on i guess like you can press on it and then there's maybe a poster like the spring festival is coming up or whatever and this billboard i want it to be quite alive so every time you go there there will be something new on it or every season at least so i have that in the scene and then that script i mean that billboard also have a clock on it so you can go there and look at what time it is you'll also have a timer on your ui I'm thinking it's supposed to be something you buy though. Like you can go to the shop and buy a clock and then you can see what time it is all the time on the UI. That would be pretty cool. When you start playing the game, you don't know what time it is unless you go to the billboard, but then you can go and spend some money on a clock and then you have the UI showing you what time it is at all time. Mm, very nice. That would be nice. So I have this billboard and then that script has the timer on it, right? And from that script, it's in the void update so that's the noobish thing i've done it just tells that ai script i had three separate ai script at this point it just send the signal to them all the time update 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 and then in those scripts the ai scripts you have this when it's five o'clock i have to do this or eight o'clock i can type it in the inspector i can write eight o'clock and then in the next field i have an animation he should play so let's say the idle animation and then nine o'clock he had to walk to this next so it's like an empty game object in the world like just a, a dot on the map and then he go to that one and then when he arrive at that spot this thing starts over again so he 
then I don't know, let's say he sits and read a book and then that animation plays and so on. So I, I don't know if that's an array though, but it sounds similar. And then I also have one function is that if you arrive at your destination and that dot that you arrive on has a tag that says go random, he will sort of walk around randomly on the spot between five, six game objects, invisible game objects. And this I thought would be cool if it's like an event or something in the game. And then to make it look a little bit more alive, you have people sort of walking around and some walking randomly and then, yeah, something like that. Interesting. So you have one game object that controls all of the NPCs, I suppose. Yeah, it sent out that signal, and that's what I thought would be better if it's only do that every five minutes in-game. But then I don't know what happens, for example, when the police, for example, is chasing you. I mean, so you have something happens, and then that's going to trigger the police to chase. Uh, I guess that's a, yeah, fuck, I don't know. But yeah, something like that. But what I think is something to think about is, say, for example, that you want to add a task or remove a task or something from a schedule from an NPC. So say that, for example, this homeless person or something suddenly in this quest or something has a job or whatever it might be. So you just want to remove this uh, task and then add this one or something like that. So making sure that your code can easily handle that, doing it with arrays where you would just have a big bunch of tasks for say that you have different classes for example you have the upper class schedule and you have the middle class schedule and so on and then they just pick schedules or tasks from that list and then if you need to swap something out you can just change one variable in the array to something else and then they will just get the information instead of having to rewrite code or something I suppose, is what my concern would be or how I would approach it. Yeah, the thing with this... So at the moment, I sort of have three separate AI scripts. And the reason why I do that is because I I don't want them all to have the same script so they all work the same. I sort of have my own hierarchy within the AI. So you can, for example, get a partner. Those AIs, they they will have way more stuff in them. And then underneath those, you have the police officer. He will be quite normal, but he also have the chase function, which others shouldn't have. I have a script just for him. And before I used to put all scripts, sort of try to make as much as possible in one script. But I feel like in long term, it becomes too too messy. and Spaghetti. Yeah, so I, I prefer to just have like, the, the characters in the game that have a little bit more functions and have some extra role in the game, they get their own scripts. And then I will have, in the bottom of this AI hierarchy, I will have the sort of the common people, the normal townsmen that sort of just go to work, go to bed, and then in the weekends they go to these spots and at the events they go to the events. And then they always have something new to say though. But those would be quite normal. But yeah, I, from what you're saying, that sounds good. Like it would be nice to have that flexibility to be able to change things after the fact. Because the way it is now, it's, I can already tell that it's going to be hell to, to change things 
if I want to change something down the road. My approach now, because what you're saying is it sounds so complicated. So my only approach now is the three main stories in the game. I was thinking to just focus on these three main characters, if you will, where they should go and where they should be. It's important they work perfectly and then the rest will be sort of, I don't know, it, you will be able to tell that some of them are a bit more stupid than others. But there's also a story element to that, which is a spoiler. Nice, very nice. Speaking broadly then, without knowing exactly how it works, at least the way I would approach it is, so you have all these tasks and then you could just define somewhere like a policeman role includes these tasks or functions or whatever it might be and like a upper class this guy has these tasks or functions and then you could just set on a character like assume policeman role or something but how would you approach it like so this police officer for example on monday to friday i want him to wake up in his home he goes to the police station he eats a donut and then he will just patrol the streets. Where is the task? And when he patrolling the streets, for example, I put out the dots where he walk. Because there's another meaning to that. If you play as a shanty person, for example, and you break one of these things I mentioned before, like a trash can. And the police sees that, he will come chasing you. So I will put out the path he follows. But... The way you describe it, it sounds like they should just know what to do. So how do I define that? Like where he goes. And then when it's a Saturday, he should not do that. He should just sit home. And when it's a Sunday, he go to church. And when it's a Christmas event, he goes to this Christmas event. How can I control where he go at the Christmas event? Where he's going to stand and so on. So I would set it up like... You would have all these things that a character is able to do, especially for the common ones. But then you would set up these paths, one which you call like patrol the city or something. And then every NPC would have access to that. But then you set an array or something that says if you are a policeman, you have access to this. So at the start of the function, you would just have the NPC assume the policeman role. So we have sort of a task manager. At the beginning of the day, you would just fill in all of these tasks. And after he does one task, then deletes that from the list, then approaches the next. And then every task, I guess, would have possibly a start position and an end position. So at the beginning of his task, the first thing he will do is just go to this position. Maybe that's the first task. After he reaches that, the code would just say, go to the next task and then delete the one I was just on. And then the next task would say, just go to the donut or whatever it might be and execute eat function or animation. It sounds exactly what I'm doing though. But I don't think I'm using arrays. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Do you have a script on every MPC? So... What it does is just a big long script of everything from animating to going to bed to going to work or... I think it's called a public class and that contains four things. One is start time, what animation to do, finish time, go to next place. And then from the inspector 
I can write, for example, five in this box, and then I get five of those public classes. And then I write eight o'clock, he played a wake up animation, and then he just lie in bed until 10 o'clock. Then he goes to this next spot. When he arrives at that spot, the script allows you to come late, it seems like. It's, I've written the script, but I don't fucking know how it works. But that's <laughs> just how I make games. <laughs> but it seems to allow you to be late. So when you get to the next spot, he will do the eating the donut thing. And then if I become a criminal in the city, he will just come chasing me. And when he's done chasing me, the script tells him to go back to what he... I mean, it checks what time it is. So then it knows, oh shit, well, I shouldn't eat the donut now. I have to go here. Because now it's two o'clock or whatever, because I was chasing this guy for so long. So I feel like it's quite flexible. Sounds exactly what I'm talking about. So you said that you have something that you could create classes. So each of those classes, is that one task? Yeah. So I guess the only difference is that I would put them in a list to just keep better check of them. And maybe dynamically swap out things. Or something like that. But very interesting. It uh, sounds a, a lot like what they do in the Elder Scrolls games, for example. They also have schedules and stuff. I am a huge fan of especially Morrowind. And I am inspired by that when I am making even this game. Even though they have nothing to do with each other. I still feel like there's a lot of inspiration from Morrowind. The idea that you can sort of follow a story or not. And that's what I mentioned. I have three sort of storylines. And to me, that's sort of like the Dark Brotherhood. You can sort of choose one of them. And you can also choose one of them and finish that one and start another one. I just fucking hope the game turns out the way I want it to. It's really fucked up in, in places. Yeah. Sticking out is something that is more often than not, I think, appreciated if you do it in the right way. And I think marketing, as we're doing right now, is a good first step. We were supposed to have a guest on today and talk about this rubber duck effect and making blogs and stuff like that. And what I wanted to tell him and you after listening to you guys talking about your blogs and all that is that I'm going to start doing that too. But he's not here today, so I guess I get some <laughs> more time to, to push that into the future. Exactly. Does it have a title yet? Yes. Is it public? No, it's not. But by the time this is out, it will be. So I think I'm going to make a blog anyway. It's called Sunset Moon. Hmm, very cool. That's oh, a cute name, Sunset Moon. Yeah. Obviously, Harvest Moon. You can hear that in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Very cool. I mean, I love Harvest Moon growing up. And I always wanted to make a game like that. So this is my, my take on that type of live sim if it is, or whatever it, the category is. A love letter to the live sim, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Hmm. You know what grinds my gears? Oh, tell me. Gaming culture. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest concept on earth, in my opinion. Can you give some examples and... Why it made you think about it recently? I mean, do you listen to a lot of game podcasts? I actually don't even know that about you. Do you listen to podcasts? Or how? in what way have you run into this gaming culture gear grinding thing? 
Well, I guess like doing this podcast, you're sort of immersed in gaming culture, ironically. But it's not that the culture in the games industry or how we interact with games or stuff like that is weird. It's rather that the way we refer to it, I think, is so weird that, for example, you have this identity of being a so-called gamer, but maybe it's a symptom of our industry being so young, but it's such an absurd term. It's like people, I would almost describe it like in Dungeons and Dragons games that you're a magician, you can like do this amazing thing that nobody else can do, but games are so universal and whether they're digital or analog like chess or card games, people have been doing them for millennia and it's so absurd to me that you have to distinguish yourself like, oh, I'm a person that plays games. Like, somebody who listens to music would never be like, Hey, I'm a mu- musicer, or I'm a movier, I'm a person who watch movies. And and also, maybe this is something that's gonna be absurd in the future, I think, but usually, like, in these circles, or actually, with quote-unquote normal people, you, you ask, like, oh, do you play games? And that's sort of a weird question because no other like entertainment business asks like, oh, do you watch movies? Do you listen to music? Even, I would say, less mainstream stuff like theater, nobody would ask you like, oh, do you watch theater? Because anyone can just go and like watch something. Sorry for ranting here, but it's something I've been thinking about for a while. Also, during E3, I remember always... Growing up and watching E3 game shows where people are revealing new games and consoles and whatever it might be. There's always this one person in every game show with a suit and he's this like high up executive that's been working on that company for 30 years or something. And he always has a start with something like, oh, hey, by the way, when I play... League of Legends on my spare time. Like, he has to convince everyone at the game show, everyone who's traveled there, paid money, and are journalists within the industry, he has to just convince them that he actually know what the product is when he's, like, the president of the company making all of the games. It's like somebody from Sony Music or Columbia Pictures being like, oh, hey, I actually listen to music. I watch movies on my spare time, actually. It's so weird. What do you think about it? It's an absurd thing that's only present here, is my opinion. Well, one thing I was thinking about, you say, I'm a movier. I think when it comes to movies, for example, I don't watch movies. And that's like something I would have to say then. Like, (laughs) when I end up in conversations where people talk about actors and actresses and movies, I tend to sort of early on go like, guys, by the way, I, I know nothing about movies. So... Don't judge me, because I am absolutely dumbfounded when it comes to movies. I can name maybe five actors, and they're all <laughs> from the 80s. So I know nothing about it. And also music, like names in particular. Like, I don't know any names in, in music. I have my favorite bands and stuff like that, but I couldn't tell what the names are on the people playing in these bands. So I do think there's, like, almost the opposite effect there for me when it comes to movies in particular, because that's something we expect everyone to 
watch or to do. Like you said, you would never tell someone like I watch movies. It's just like <laughs> everyone does. But then when you don't do it, then I feel like I I have the right to sort of well I, I <laughs> yeah, do that yeah. just because uh, I've been in that situation so many times when I go like, do you know this fucking I can't even I can't even freestyle a name <laughs> Brad Pitt and I'm like I don't know who that is I happen to know who he is but. I learned that a few years ago. But the amount of times I just don't know who they're talking about or the movie. And then, yeah, it's just like I've had to point those things out because people are expecting you to watch movies. But I agree with you that I do think it's because the industry is so young still. Yeah, must be. Yeah, because I even think when we ask people like, do you play games, for example? Even when the person say yes, we might go, oh, do you like Final Fantasy? And they're like, oh, no, I play Candy Crush. And it's like, oh, but that's not a game. <laughs> you know? So the, the, the industry is kind of immature. Yeah, absolutely. So even if a person play games... <laughs> it has to be the right ones. We're still not satisfied. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's not the hardcore games, then yeah, we don't want to hear it. Yeah, also that, like a hardcore gamer. Yeah. Like you would never be a hardcore music listener or... Maybe you are, but the fact that it is an identity is so weird. Like identifying with consumption of media. It's nothing that you're born with. Everyone can do it and enjoy it. Really, really (laughs) weird, I think. I think also it might be a sort of a remnant of culture from the 90s or something. Because nowadays, everyone, even people who don't play games, seem to love video games and the games industry. And when I grew up, there was a documentary on Swedish television called something like Deadly Games or something like that. And it was all about how it's so disgusting that in video games you can virtually kill people. Oh my god, we're turning our children to killers. And nowadays, you have documentaries, the same channel, by the way, which is called The Swedish Game Wonder, something like that. Like now, when there's tons of money in it, the same games, for example, DICE, you make Battlefield, where you kill people. That's just fine, and that's it's a miracle, and thank God we have this in Sweden. And I can imagine that might be part of the reason you forgot or you haven't realized that nobody has it in it for games like they did in the 90s because then it was either you did play games and you think they're fine or you think they're like murder simulators so i can imagine that is part of it also i have a super weird theory which is Before I I tell you this theory, it's based on life experience, because I don't read news. (laughs) All my opinions come from life experience. (laughs) The real stuff. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's not much facts here, but I I do think there's something here. And I haven't really thought this one out, so I'm just going to say it and let's see what happens. But when I listen to podcasts, one thing I notice quite often is... Like a podcaster would say something like, ah, man, I don't like open world, for example. And then the next week, they sort of talk about the comments they got from the previous week. I'm talking about bigger podcasts now, like Kind of Funny, for example. 
And then someone in the audience is like, oh, you said you don't like open world, but you like Far Cry. <laughs> and then it's like, ah. and then the host have to be like, yeah, but you know, it's just like, and then he has to sort of come up with a reason why he likes Far Cry. It's like, we can't hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. <laughs> like, I don't like open world, but I love playing Elden Ring. And before I used to love open world, now I really don't like open world. So that's the first hint to my theory here, that people seem to have a really hard time holding two thoughts at the same time. And then you go to Metacritics, like how obsessed people are in the score of a game, which I also find weird. Like one of my favorite games last generation was The Order, a 1888 weird subtitle to that title but it's the Victorian England beautiful game Victorian England sort of steampunk so cool with vampires and stuff sort of an alternative history of Jack the Ripper was so nice and I'm so bummed out that we will never see a sequel so anyway you have that one there the obsession over the score and not being able to have two thoughts at the same time I want to come up with one more before I go to my major nail in the coffin. I had another one too. Ah, I can't remember it now. But you have those two. And then when I worked in a facility with a lot of people, especially autistic. So I'm not allowed to talk about that work. But I can tell that there was, among the gamers who lived here, it was a big obsession over scores. Right. And they would ask. Should I play this game? What do you think? And I said, I think it looks awesome. It seems exactly the kind of game you want to play. Uh, I'm going to wait until I see the score. Uh, okay. And that combined with this not being able to hold two ideas at the same time, combined with the Metacritic scores. And then I had one more story about... Oh, yeah. Since I learned programming, I feel like it's very... I mean, it is ones and zeros. Everything is ones and zero, one zero, one zero, which is also a very autistic thing. Like, it can't be two things at the same time. It has to be one thing at once. I happen to love this kind of way of thinking and just the way I think in general in life since I learned programming is so autistic. <laughs> like, when my wife and I have... Like, what, what should we do? Like, should we move to Tokyo? Should we not? And then I was just, like, programming the shit out of that decision. Like, well, if we don't move... We have to live here and I can't work here, but you can work. So that means Anana is sort of just turned that sort of life changing situation into a code and then sort of we valued if it was the right or wrong thing to do. So it was like <laughs> we sort of put our feelings aside. It was just the code almost. And then we decided to move to Tokyo where we can both work because I can't work where we're currently. Oh, I'm here for the weekend now. We're all moving down on Saturday. So my whole theory here is to sort of turn this into the gaming culture thing. My whole theory is that, and I have also heard this on some podcasts when they talk about, uh, it's a little bit autistic almost. And I have this other theory how now that we use chat GPT or the games themselves are made by ones and zeros. And as free as you might think you are, you're not. In the end of the day, it's a one or it's a zero. So it's almost breeding people to become a little bit more robotic and think in these terms. Like, it can't be two things at the same time. So my whole theory is that maybe, just maybe, there is a lot of autism in the industry. And that's why that I'm a gamer thing, it becomes so powerful and so like 
people are, get so attached to that thing. And that's just, you know, from my experience working in a facility where a lot of people are mentally sick or whatever the political correct term is. Yeah. Mentally challenged, maybe. Yeah, so there's no facts here. It's just like something I started to pay attention to, especially after working there, that especially when it comes to autism, it's like a certain, it's almost an obsession in a certain way to to make the world make sense. I mean, that's the challenging part of that mental state. So you want things to make sense. Otherwise, it's panic, right? Yeah, I don't know. That's my theory. Somewhere there is a theory about it, it could be gaming is attracting these types of people who just want things to make sense in a certain way and thus it becomes so passionate that if you're a gamer or not or I'm a gamer or whatever. Yeah, I guess so. It's sort of a weird tribalism, but I think it might be I don't know if I would use maybe autistic, but I would say usually there is this book in Sweden called, it's a book on psychology, so take this title with a grain of salt, but it's called Surrounded by Idiots. Anyhow, it categorizes people into four types. Long story short, you have the blue people, which is more the kind of logical people who want more like black and white and wants a logical solution to things rather than relying on feelings or whatever it might be. And I think, as you say, that probably is related to it because in the general IT, I think people are kind of tribalistic there as well. For example, if you're a PC or a Mac person or a Linux or a certain programming language or whatever it might be, so that kind of tribalism exists there as well but as you said before maybe it's because that industry is old enough and there's just so much stuff there you can't just call yourself like a hey i'm a python guy because there are a million programming languages out there and there's not just this one thing i guess but also i think the thing with score is something like Maybe it's also related to the industry being young, but it feels like there's no self-confidence in the industry. Nobody can just enjoy what they like and that's it. It's always got to be validated by someone or like an external force. You have this big institution like Metacritic or IGN or whatever has to set a score on it and then it's official that it's good or bad or something. And the same thing is with adaptions in my mind. Take The Last of Us, for example. It's a great adaption, it's a great TV show, but it's not quite the same thing as the game. But my question is, why did we even need a TV show to begin with? We already had the whole story in a longer format, better acted, like video games enables you to do. And the same thing with video game movies. It feels like some sort of, like collective sigh of relief when something gets adapted good into another format like it's not enough that we just have a great game and we can just make more of them in the same genre or same series we have to have it converted to not graphics it's gonna be footage instead because then it's real that is sort of a weird thing to me that you have to have it validated by something else it's not enough you know 
Yeah, and I mean, those decisions are made by these bigwigs in the top as well. But now that you mentioned the blue people who want things to be black or white, ones and zeros, I think that's even more proof that my theory, there is something in here. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking like the that we are being, on an unconscious level, we are being entertained and mm, brainwashed. That's not the right term, but let's let's go with the word brainwashed slash entertained by ones and zeros. Conditioned, maybe. Yeah, we are being conditioned by ones and zeros, which is in its turn this blue pill thing or blue man. What did you say? Blue people. <laughs> Smurfs. <laughs> These fucking Smurfs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The blue personality, whatever, yeah? Yes, exactly, exactly. So the blue personality thing is that thing. And then it's like people who do coding and stuff like that. I can admit that I like that way of thinking. Ones and zeros. It's just like, man, what a relief it is just to not... You take my feelings, shove them down someone's <laughs> throat, and just goes with ones and zeros. Yeah, you can validate it to be true or not. Yeah, it's so much easier. So you have the people like me who makes games who do that, and then I make my games with ones and zeros, and then you play the games with ones and zeros. And I'm talking about this is like an on an unconscious level, almost like the way we eat stuff. Like you eat it, but you don't really know what's in it, sort of. And then... You click with these games because you are also that type of person who wants things to be ones and zeros in the end of the day, even though you don't really know it yet. You said like, we want things to be, what was it called? Granted by others. No, you said something else. Validated by someone else. And that's also in my experience working in this field with autism, especially is something I do every day. And that's like a part of the job to sort of not validate things like no you say what do you want and it's so hard for especially severe autistic people to take that decision because it's hard it's that's a part of the problem right but my job is there to sort of push you to to take the decision like what you want but so many people think it's better that someone else take the decision for you and now it's sort of back to what i'm thinking like there's some some sort of something here maybe why we want things to be validated by others and that also i guess create this tribalism ish that yeah i mean i'm no psychologist but <laughs> uh, well i guess you heard the term armchair psychologist <laughs> no but i put my arm on my chair now and i felt like one. <laughs> i assume it's just someone who pretends to or yeah, exactly. You're not a real psychologist. You just sit down in an armchair and just have someone like, oh, you can lay down on this sofa here be- beside me and tell me all your problems. I'm so good at solving them. That's uh, <laughs> that type of person. So I guess us. <laughs> yeah. Well, best way to solve most problems is exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have no more theories on that topic, but you said something else that I wanted to touch on. Oh, yeah, I do. I do have a rant. I have another rant. Yeah, shoot. Go ahead. I don't know when this started. I don't know how it started. 
we ran into it last week with last week's guests. When someone, in that case me, pronounce someone's name that we don't know how it's actually pronounced and then we have to go out and say, sorry if I butchered your name. What the fuck is that all about? Because in that case, it assumes that I should know how every name in the world is pronounced, which means I should then be able to speak every language on planet Earth to pronounce someone's name. My question to you is, how did this start? Like, are there actually people out there who get offended if I mispronounce your name? I mean, I'm mispronouncing <laughs> your name every time because I say Odo, <laughs> Odo. I mean, it's Otto. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then people have to speak Swedish to understand how to say Otto the way it's supposed to be said. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, starting off, I would say that, yes, there is actually a movement of people who think it's discriminatory not to know how people's names are pronounced, Ah. unfortunately. But I would also agree with you that I would never get offended if someone mispronounces my name. I mean, I think, for me... It's maybe Norwegians and half of Sweden that can pronounce my name correctly. And everyone else in the world pronounces it differently. For example, if I say my name, Otto, usually a, an American, for example, don't understand which vowels I'm using. So I have to say it either like 16 times or I can just go, Otto, you know. So, so it, I don't know, it's, it's so hard because... I think it could, I guess, make an effort to to spend a couple of minutes or something, a, a moment to try to get it right. But even if you don't, I think you can't really... Or the reason why people always say, oh, sorry, I about your name, is sort of, a, I guess, a half-assed excuse, I guess. So you don't really want to spend that much time to learn a name, but at the same time, you don't want them to be offended. But I would say that that's okay. Because I don't think you have to learn every language in the world, but at the same time, you have everyone in the world has a bias because of the native language or languages that they have. So say someone from Japan, they will have, regardless of how much they try to learn English or Spanish or Chinese or whatever it might be in an adult age, they will probably never be able to pronounce the names from that language or culture the same way that the natives do. Because languages work in different ways. So, say with Japan, you have usually, except for the letter N, you always have almost every other consonant and vowel. And that doesn't work with like a name like... Matilda. Yeah. For example, or Elliot, or something like that. And you have other, for example, in Japan, they sort of L and R is the same letter. And for example, in Sweden, we don't have the tones that the Chinese do. So you're gonna absolutely butcher somebody's name and just call them cow or something instead of what they actually are called. And I think that's just unavoidable, really. That's my take on it. <laughs> Yeah, hmm, well, I'm never gonna apologize. I like those small errors we make. Just like my games, some of the bugs <laughs> in there are just like, ah, it's a part of me, it's my mistakes, you know, we're not perfect. 
Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I always wonder when I hear podcasts and they're gonna introduce some foreigner and the way people pronounce Shuhei Yoshida, Shuhei Yoshida, I think people say. No one ever says, oh, sorry, I butchered that name. They seem to think that's how it's pronounced, but it's Shuhei Yoshida. So it's obviously fine sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Or Ken Watanabe. Yeah. And say, for example, Jackie Chan. That's not even his real Chinese name. He just picked that because that's easier to pronounce. So nobody apologizes that he has to fucking change his name because people can't pronounce it. So as you say, sometimes it's okay and sometimes it isn't. Huh. I guess you have to like accept that people have different backgrounds and therefore you have different abilities to pronounce. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was traveling in Vietnam and I said to some of my English-speaking friends I was with at that point, I'm like, oh, should we take this Ho Chi Minh road to Ho Chi Minh? And like, Ho Chi Minh? What are you talking about? It's like Ho Chi Minh. And I'm like, there's no way it's called Ho Chi Minh. <laughs> I'm sure if we ask a Vietnamese person, they have no clue what the fuck we're talking about. It's probably pronounced something completely different. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, my point is, as long as you get your point through, as long as they understand what you're trying to say, that's just my take on it. And I think that's how, like, when I'm communicating while traveling and stuff like that, that's the best way to communicate. I mean, one time I was translating from english to english it was a canadian <laughs> and a northern british person who couldn't fucking understand each other or basically the canadian couldn't understand the brit right so i'm standing there the only non-native english speaker translates. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> but in the end of the day i think it's just like you know as long as you can make yourself understood and we know what we're talking about yeah yeah but i didn't know it was some sort of movement about it's offensive but like i said I, it was a question why is that a thing now I know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're getting off track of the games industry, but I think it's such an interesting topic, <laughs> so people will just have to bear with us. But I think that it's also very interesting that the perspective of someone who has learned the language to a fluent level and a native speaker have completely different levels of understanding of their own language. So usually the person who is not a native speaker has a better concept and grasp of the language that they're learning if they've learned it to fluency than somebody who's native. And I realized that even in Sweden with people who have learned to speak it fluently that they speak about grammar rules and stuff that I've never heard about. And the same way is, for example, when when uh, talking about Japanese, for example, that I'm studying. So speaking to a native person and speaking to somebody who is a Japanese teacher or somebody from Sweden who has learned it fluently or something like that, the native person usually can't explain the rules, but somebody who has studied it or is teaching it or something has a really good foundation, which is also kind of interesting, very interesting. I was going to try to make this about gaming and I was just going to throw in some snide comments like programming languages, but I, I couldn't come <laughs> up with anything. So, Well, to tie it a little bit back to gaming, I guess it would be interesting if there is any translators in our audience. We would love to talk to you because I think that also must somehow play into localizing games because a native person who knows how things are interpreted or 
how the culture works. Is that person better or worse than somebody who has learned the language and understands sort of the difference and going from one to the other? Or, you know, is the level of understanding equal with the both of them? Or how does that work? That would be something really interesting to know because I think, especially when it's an interactive medium, it would be really cool to know how do you even think about that. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's... Uh... Oh, you have localized games. So you must know. <laughs> the two people from my publisher translate games. I'm going to ask them if they want to share some information. But I, I think we touched on this a little bit before and I said something about like when when you translate a game, you're rewriting it almost completely. And that's something I noticed, especially when I learned Japanese as well. I wanted to know, like, how do you say hungry as a wolf? And I don't even know if that's something you say in English, but that's something we say in Swedish, right? When you're really hungry. I'm hungry like a wolf. Yeah. And then someone told me how to say hungry like a wolf. But obviously, <laughs> when I said that later on to another Japanese person, they have no fucking clue what I'm talking <laughs> about. What? Are you pretending to be a wolf? Or what's, what's going on here? <laughs> and it's just like, I assume that that's like what you say. They do have the grass is greener on the other side, as a saying in Japan. And it's very similar as well, if you would translate it. But those sayings and stuff like that, it's just, they don't translate. Yeah, that is really interesting. For example, I can I can imagine like lines and the main character comparing the villain to, you know, an analogy that's common here, but not in, say, Japan, for example. Mm. <laughs> Another, I have to just link this. This is a really, really interesting concept of this. So I watched, there is a, one of the resources I've used to learn Japanese is actually, it's called Japanese from Zero. And the teacher there who makes all the classes and talks and teaches the lessons, he did a stream where he played, what is it called? The, it's a, it's a game about the butterfly effect. It's, oh my God, I have it on the tip of my tongue. I sorry I have to <laughs> look this up <laughs> if that's okay. It's called something like one life no something life is strange could that be one? Life is strange is a game. Life is strange. That is the one isn't it? Yes. Okay. So he did a stream where he played life is strange. And he played it in Japanese just to teach all of the people watching. Like he would just pause the game and when he said something and he would just translate the sentence and explain the grammar and the nuance and this is why this person says this and so on. But in the beginning of the stream, this was really funny. So the culture in America and in Japan is very, very different. So... Say, for example, in that stream, you had the Japanese audio and the English subtitles. And then maybe, I don't remember exactly, but the character said something like, Ah, damn this. And then the subtitle says, fuck it. (laughs) So the English audio became the English subtitles. So he just got so bothered by that and like he thought the translation was wrong until he realized it's not subtitling the Japanese So I can imagine when you write those lines, as you said, they must have rewritten the whole game because they're so polite and and proper in Japanese. But in 
English, it's just the sort of way that youths talk in the US where you swear a lot and you say like bad words and stuff and it's not a big deal to say, oh, fuck that shit. But in Japan, if you would say something like that, it feels like you're really like cursing someone for killing your father or, you know. That would be really interesting to have somebody who could do localization and could talk about those sort of differences. Mm. I know my wife, she, well, I mean, she translated my games and we watched some stream, quite a big Japanese stream when they played those games and they were laughing because they thought it was kind of weird. Like, <laughs> and that's all because my wife doesn't work with this kind of stuff, right? She's held, right? So is this the similar thing, expressions and stuff that doesn't translate? Yeah, and they thought like, man, this is... And sometimes they thought that the translator wasn't even Japanese, but it was just like, I guess my wife is somewhat westernized and tried to make it Japanese, so it came out wrong anyway. (laughs) But speaking of when things... Something happened at my wife's work two weeks ago, and she was like, on Monday, I think the boss is going to tell me that I did a mistake. And if he says that in front of everyone, what should I say? Because she don't want to take shit like that. And I was like, yeah, you should tell him. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, I wish we lived like an English speaking country because then I could say that. But it makes no sense if I translate it to Japanese. Her plan was to say, why don't we take this in your office? And I was like, how the hell is that a diss? How is that, you know, going to make him be like, whoa? But here it is, because like you said, it's, everything is so polite here. So if you just stand up to your boss, that's just what 99% of the people wouldn't do. And then my wife is not one of those, but it didn't happen. It was all good. So she didn't have to insult him in front of everyone by saying, let's talk about this in your office, you know. And that's also something going back to what we talked about earlier. Japan is more of a like one and zero country. In Sweden, for example, or in English, you have a lot more nuanced if you are like if you say let's go take this in your office you could say it calmly and friendly or you could say it really harshly and it sounds like a command but in japan you have distinct levels of grammar which is this is this politeness level this is this politeness level you have keigo and you have like really casual and rude stuff so depending on which word you use you can put a zero or a one is this polite or not and when you said like let's take this in your office i'm just thinking how you would translate that and that would be either you would do it like as a command or you would have to ask them please can we and that makes it totally different i guess so that's also something like with the localization that must be so hard to get the meaning across no it's we try to get some localization person on yeah Please do. And you and I are both studying languages, so I guess we are very passionate about this. I love languages and culture stuff. But Yeah, same, same. Well, maybe that's a good sign-off. Look forward to the future, a localization episode. Yes, indeed. Great, and thank you, Rune, as always, my great co-host. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And hope to see you next week. Bye. See you, bye.